Well, good morning, faith family. If you got your Bible, go to John chapter 21. John 21. Uh, this morning we continue in our Grace Parade series. If you're uh, visiting with us, we are delighted that you're here. And we've been the last several weeks talking about just how awesome God is and how amazing His grace is uh, in our life. And we've been uh, uh, talking about a series looking at Jesus' ministry uh, called the Grace Parade. And one of the things that I've been trying to kind of uh, uh, give portraits of is all the different kinds of people that Jesus' ministry attracted. And so we've looked at uh, lepers, and we've looked at uh, uh, the people that were demon-possessed, and uh, we've looked at prostitutes, and we've looked at prodigals, and we've looked at tax collectors, and all these different people from all these different walks of life, and yet they all come together in a grace parade. They all experience the radical grace of Jesus Christ. And so I really want us uh, to see that kind of imagery of all these different people, all these different types of people coming together and experiencing the grace of God. Jesus is leading a parade of grace that will go on for all of eternity as we glorify him for the grace he's given us. Um, so this morning, we're going to give one more. Next week on uh, Easter weekend, uh, what better day to talk about grace than on the day that we uh, set aside to celebrate the resurrection, which, by the way, we kind of talk about a lot all the time. Uh, but next week, we'll finalize uh, our Grace Parade series on Easter. Then the following week, so two weeks from today, we're going to start a series called Contend. And I don't know if you know this, but God uh, tweets. Uh, God has a Twitter account, and he, uh, he tweeted uh, a book of the Bible called Jude. And the reason why I call it a tweet is because it's only one chapter, right? It's this little bitty book that God has given us. And in that book, he tells us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. One of the things that Christians need to learn is you don't need to be afraid to take a stand for what's true. And there's a lot of Christians afraid in our culture to stand on truth. Listen, we don't have that option. God has given us the faith, and we must contend for it. And so we'll do a short little series this spring called Contend. Well, this morning, uh, let's get back into the grace parade. Uh, John chapter 21, who's ready to hear more about God's grace? Anybody? Okay, just making sure. Well, you were going to anyways, but uh, I'm glad you agree. Uh, John 21, verse 15, if you're able to stand, please do, as we honor the reading of God's Word. John 21. We're going to look at a lot of verses this morning, but uh, for our Scripture reading, we'll start with verse 15. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. 
Would you pray for me and with me now as we ask God to come talk to us? Father, thanks for this time now um, in our week that is set aside to hear from you through the preaching of your word. This moment is not about a man. It is about you speaking through the word that you have breathed out. So I pray that I be faithful to it and that we together would experience the amazing grace that's found in these verses. So come talk to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I felt like such a failure. And it's because I was. It was my freshman year of high school. And you need to know something about our high school. They, they divided the uh, basketball program into two different teams. There was the freshman team and there was the varsity team. And, and, and at the end of the freshman year, uh, select players would be allowed to move from the freshman team. Uh, their year would end sooner and they would be able to be transferred over to the varsity team and finish out uh, the year with them. And, and so you need to know, and I'm glad you're sitting down because you're going to be very impressed, that I had quite the freshman season. I was the leading scorer on the team. I made all district. We won our conference tournament. And so at the end of our freshman year, I was one of the select players that was able to move from the freshman team onto the varsity team. Aren't you impressed? (laughs) You need to know this too about our high school. Our basketball program had a history for losing. Uh, We were what you might call everybody's homecoming. You know what I mean? Everybody scheduled us for homecoming because they knew that they could beat us. But this particular year for the varsity team, they made, uh, made it to the conference uh, championship game, which was amazing. They were playing the very best team uh, in the conference. And not only that, we were winning. And then something very significant happened. Our starting point guard fouled out. The coach looks down the bench and puts me in at point guard. By the way, I'd never played point guard in my life. (laughs) But I thought, I've had such a stellar freshman career. I got this. Are you kidding me? I will go out there and I will win this for my coach. I will win this for my team. I'll win this for our fans. I was envisioning in my mind something out of the movie Hoosiers. Like, this is how it's going to end, and they're going to carry me off the court. It's going to be fabulous. It's the closing minute of the game, and we're down by one. You should see your face right now. You're just like, come on, tell me what happens, what happens? I bring the ball down the court, and they try to trap me. I picked up my dribble, which you're not supposed to do, by the way. Tried to make a cross-court pass, which you're also not supposed to do, by the way. The, the other team intercepts that pass, drives down the court, makes a basket just as the clock hits zero. And all God's people, don't you say it. <laughs> don't you dare say it. Man, I feel like it was yesterday I remember that feeling. And if you've ever played sports, if you've ever watched sports, if you've ever been a Minnesota sports fan, you know that feeling. (laughs) Too soon? 
You know that feeling I'm talking about. Listen, listen, I, I will ne- I, I'm serious like it was yesterday. I remember sitting in that locker room with my face in my hands, devastated, because I felt like a failure. And I had my opportunity, I had my moment, and I blew it. Hey, come here for just a minute. Have you ever felt that way? Do you know the feeling of failure? And I mean in more than just kind of a sporting event context. How many of you this morning would say that as a parent, you know what it's like to feel like you're a failure? Or maybe a business owner, you know that feeling of of being a failure. Or or maybe you feel that way in terms of a spouse. Or, Or maybe as a student. Or maybe as a leader, you remember when you didn't make that shot. You remember when you didn't close that deal. You remember when you didn't pass the class, make it on time. Uh, you remember when you couldn't get others to follow. You remember when you couldn't save the relationship. You know what it's like to feel like a failure. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I guarantee you there's been times in your life where you felt like you failed God. Anybody? It's okay to be honest at church, by the way. Like you feel like you let God down. Man, you you were given that moment. You were given that opportunity. You were given that life and you blew it. And you feel like there's kind of a sign hovering over your life like you're just one big spiritual disappointment. We're going to be honest. Have you ever felt that feeling of failure? If you have, you know exactly how the Apostle Peter feels. In fact, if we know anything about Peter in the Bible, it's his history of failures. Uh, Recall them for just a moment. You'll remember one time Jesus was teaching a parable, and Peter says, "Uh, I don't really get this. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, are you still without understanding? Do you still not understand? Do you remember that time when when, when Peter thought he could walk on water? Do you remember? Peter, you, you, you can't walk on water. And he jumps out, and before long, he begins to sink. And Jesus says to him, what? If you know it, say it. Oh, you of little faith. Do you remember that time um, when, when Peter confessed Jesus rightly? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then just a few moments later, he's rebuking Jesus privately. And Jesus has to look at Peter and say, say it if you know it. Get behind me, Satan. Or what about that time when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and Peter says, not mine, to which Jesus has to say, then you have no part of me. Poor guy. I mean, really? He's the kind of guy that seems to get it wrong a whole lot more than he gets it right. At least nobody here can relate. Have you been there? I've been there. And then, of course, there's Peter's most famous failure. Before we go to John 21, look at Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter, um, where are we at? Matthew 26. There we go. Matthew chapter 26. This is uh, uh, Peter's most famous failure that we all know so well. It begins in verse 30. 
And when they had sung a hymn, uh, they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now watch what Peter says, verse 33. Peter answered him uh, saying, though they all fall because of you, I will what? Never. I'll never fall away. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, listen, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. My goodness, if there's one thing Peter didn't struggle with, it's confidence. (laughs) The guy had that going for him, did he not? I mean, this guy thinks that his loyalty is stronger than everybody else's. If everybody else fails, I won't. He thinks his ability is superior. If if I have to die, I'm willing to do that. He thinks his knowledge is greater than even Jesus's. Jesus, I know you're the truth, but you're wrong about me. I know more about me than you know about me. Right? I, even though you say this will happen, it's not going to happen. Here's what you need to understand. Zone in here. Peter has it all figured out in his mind. He knows this is how the game's going to be played. They'll bring the ball down the court. They'll pass it to Peter for the final second. He'll hit the game winning shot and everybody will rejoice and celebrate and they will carry him out of the courtyard. But that's not how the game ends, is it? That's not how the final play goes at all. Look at the highlight, verse 69. Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, "Uh, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, "What, What? I don't know what you mean. And when he went out of the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I don't know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. I have no idea what that's like, by the way. (laughs) I talk normal, just so you know. Verse 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Immediately the buzzer sounded. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Translation, the best score on the team, at least in his own mind, blew the final shot. He had that moment. He had the opportunity. And he failed. He blew it in that moment. The rock crumbled. The man that was so bold is now broken. The man who said, I will never just did. And Peter's vision, if you'll give me the liberty, goes from this, they will carry me off the court, I will never fail you, to the reality of this, I failed. 
Why does Peter feel like a failure in this moment? Why is he in the locker room of life weeping bitterly, the text says? Two reasons. Number one, the sin that he did. That is, Peter did something he didn't want to do. Call sin what it is. He sinned against Jesus. He denied him. But listen, it's not just the sin that he did, all right? Zone in right here. It's the self-righteousness that he had. Do you follow me? Right right here. Peter's not weeping just because of the sin he did. He's weeping because the sin he did was the very thing he could never see himself doing. I'd never go that far. Jesus, I'll never end up there. Oh, no. Me? I'm the best player on the team. Have you seen my freshman trophies? Do you understand who you're putting in the game, Jesus? In other words, Peter's view of his spiritual vitality is grossly overestimated. And it is a lesson that we do well to learn today. Are you listening, faith family? Peter's greatest weakness was his assumption of strength. He was not nearly as strong as he thought he was. And he sits there in the locker room of life weeping bitterly because he remembers all those promises made. Do you? When you walked the aisle at church, when you threw your stick in the fire at youth camp, when you made those vows at your wedding, think of all those things that you've said. Oh, I'll never have sex before marriage. I'll never look at porn again. I'll never skim money off the top. I'll never use language like that. I'll never think those kinds of thoughts. I'll never end up in divorce. I'll never take another drink. I'll never speak to her that way. I'll never let my friends influence my faith. And before you know it, you're in the locker room of life weeping bitterly because you failed. And the buzzer has sounded, and the game feels like it's over. What do you do with your failure? What do you do when you're in that locker room of life? Do you just tell yourself, I'll do better the next time. I'll, I'll, I'll rent Matt Foley, motivational speaker, and he'll come in and give me a pep talk. And, you know, I, 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 I will, I'll do better the next time. I'll try harder. Do you drown it in a bottle of whiskey? Ignore it with a round of golf? Make up for it with some good deeds or random acts of kindness? Or do you just assume that you'll just have to live with that regret for the rest of your life? Like Red in Shawshank Redemption? When he's asked if he's been rehabilitated, he says this, quote, what do you really want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? (laughs) There's not a day that goes by that I don't feel regret. I look back on the way I was then, a young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime, and I want to talk to him. I want to talk some sense into him. But you know what? I can't. That kid's long gone, and this old man is all that's left. Listen to what he says. And I got to live with that. Is that it? Is the game over? 
Is that the final chapter? Let me ask it this way. Everybody, please, right here. Is there any room in the grace parade for failures? Boy, do I have good news for you. John chapter 21. You're like, I was wondering if you were ever going to get there. Look at it. What I want to do in our remaining time is give you some lessons that we can learn from failure. What failure ought to do in our life, since my guess is all of us have been in that locker room at some point in life, if you're not even there right now. How do we respond? What do we do with this? And there's one thing that's negative, and there's three things that's positive. The first negative is this. You need to be very careful. We're going to get super practical here, right? You ready? You need to be careful that you don't let your failure sends you back to your past. Be careful that you don't let your failure send you back to your past. Let me show you this in John 21. Uh, Just so you know, context-wise, Jesus has just appeared to the disciples, including Peter, and here's what he tells them to do based on the other gospels. Go to Galilee and wait. Wait for me. But watch what happens beginning in verse 1 of John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now stop right there. I wonder if they read this later and was like, what's up? How come we don't get our name in the Bible? Like, hello, John, we were there, and all we get is, oh, yeah, there were two other people. You know, it's kind of like that uh, family photo where the one person on the end, like, all you gets their arm. It's like, wait a minute, I was in the... Anyways, that's totally free, verse 3. Simon Peter says to them, "Uh, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So here's the context. Jesus has said right after Peter's failure, he appears to them um, after the resurrection, and he says, go to Galilee, and I want you to wait. Well, what happens? Peter decides to go fish. Now, on the surface, that may not seem like much to you at all, but you need to understand there's really more to it than that, particularly because of the Greek word hupago that's used for going. It means to withdraw or to go back to something. In other words, it could actually be translated this way. And Peter said, are you listening? I'm going back to fishing. Now, that's very important. It's why most commentators will say that what's happening here is Peter has grown tired of waiting and decides to go back to his old way of life. He decides to go back to what's comfortable rather than remaining in his calling. And my friends, oh, I feel so passionate about this today because I feel like that's where some of you are, is what's happened is you've let your failure paralyze you spiritually and you've just reverted back to her, to him, to a lifestyle, to an addiction, to that thing in your past. Why? Because it's comfortable. It's what you know. Peter knows fishing. If there's anything in his life that's comfortable, it's fishing. He's a professional. But, but here's a word. Are you ready? This is a word from God to us this morning. Look at what is waiting for you back there. Verse, last part of verse 3. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Nothing. What did they catch? Nothing. Even louder, how much fish did they catch? Nothing. Everybody right here. 
the only thing waiting for you back there in your past, back there in that old lifestyle, back there in that former life, the only thing waiting for you there is an empty net. And it's a very, very bad place to be spiritually. You will never have joy. You will never have... Because you let failure defeat you. You sit there in that locker room of life and you just said, forget it. I'm just, I'm not going to play again. I'm just going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go back to what's familiar. And you're like Peter and you just say, I'm going back. Or. You can let failure do something else in your life. Notice lesson number two. Failure can teach you a lesson about your performance. Failure in our life, when we're in that locker room, is intended to teach us something about our performance. In ways, this is, oh my goodness, this is so important. Jesus is going to take this, like, come on, guys, I told you to wait, you're fishing. You've gone back to to your old way of life, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this moment to teach you a lesson, verse 4. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was him. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? I have to imagine he laughs after that. And they answered him, No. And he said to them, well, then cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Who does this guy think he is? We're professional fishermen. We know our trade. We know this lake, this sea, like the back of our hand. All right. And they cast it on the right side of the boat and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, and they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards. Whoa! Why is Jesus messing with them? I love this about, you know, it's kind of like that parent, you know, their kid comes home after losing a sporting event by 50, and they're like, well, how'd the game go? And it's just like, I don't want to talk about it. And Jesus is like, hey, children, how'd the fishing go? You catching anything? What's he doing? Why is he picking with them? Because he's trying to teach them something about their failure. How, how much have they caught? They fished all night and they caught? They are professional fishermen, you understand that? In other words, they are failing. They are, they are not able to do the very thing they are most trained to do. And Jesus is prodding at them. Why? Because he wants them to learn a valuable lesson he's been trying to teach them all along. John chapter 15 and verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, everybody, loud voice, say it with me, you can do They fished all night and they caught? Apart from me, you can do? They fished all night and caught? Apart from me, you can do? Do you see the link? 
The lesson is clear, and it's a lesson we must learn. Listen, and it's a lesson that our failure alone can teach us that Christianity is not about what you can do, it's about what Jesus can do through you. And guys, you've got to learn that. I told you to wait, and you've gone backwards, and you're fishing, but you're not catching a thing. And in your failure, I'm going to teach you something. It's never been about you. You sit there paralyzed in that locker room of life because you think this whole thing's about your performance, and I've been trying to teach you all along. You can't do anything without me. You can't even professional fishermen catch a fish. And if you want more evidence that this is what Jesus is teaching them, look at verse 9. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. I love this. With fish laid out on it. I don't know if you take notes, but this is a good point to take a note. I'm about to say something very deep and very theological. Are you ready? Here it goes. Jesus doesn't need your fish. Somebody say, preach, preacher. <laughs> oh, look, you caught 153, which, by the way, you only did because I let you. But guess what, guys? I already had fish. I don't, I don't need you. That's not an insult. It's reality. So get over yourself in your failure and learn the lesson. What's the lesson? I will let professional fishermen fail at catching fish to teach them that ministry is not about your giftedness. It's about my greatness. And there is nothing that will teach you more than that than your failure. A few weeks ago, I gave you Dr. Feltner's medical advice. Show of hands, how many of you remember it? Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> Do you even listen to these sermons? And the pastor went home and wept bitterly. Anyways, <laughs> gosh, uh, I'm teasing. Here's second installment of Dr. Feltner's medical advice. Notice it on the screen. Failure is the medicine that helps cure self-sufficiency. Hey, if you don't learn this now, guys, you're never going to learn it. Have you caught any fish? No? Are you a failure at fishing? Yeah? And how about you learn the lesson this time? It's about me. Amen? Amen? Failure can either send you back to the past. Forget this. I don't care anymore. I quit. Or failure can teach you a lesson about your performance, which is it isn't about your giftedness anyways. It's about his greatness. And thirdly, Failure is an invitation to receive the grace that God provides. Watch how the text turns here. Man, this is so good. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. 
And Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Now, verse 13 is so easy to pass over, but if you understand how the chapter begins, then you start to see how it's changed. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Right here. What is shifted in the text? Are you ready? The chapter started with the disciples going out to try to feed themselves. Now they are having to eat the meal Jesus has prepared. Now you think about that. Everything they caught was by grace. In other words, Jesus is inviting them to come and eat the fish He provides. To look away from this. Now, this is very difficult for Americans. I'm about to say something that you don't like and our culture can't even stomach. You ready? If you're going to get out of failure, you're going to have to accept a free meal. Because they didn't, they didn't do anything to earn this. Jesus is feeding them. Notice this on the screen. Grace is accepting the free meal Jesus has prepared rather than earning it through performance. He is inviting them to feast at this breakfast of grace. That'll preach right there. You failures. How much, how much did they catch again? Talk to me. How much did they catch again? So how about you come and eat of the abundance that I've caught for you? It's the grace parade at breakfast time of realizing that everything on the table was provided by another and nothing on the table was provided by you. Somebody say preach, preacher. That's grace. Peter, along with the other disciples, is invited in here to eat this feast of God's grace, a feast for failures. And that is what the entire biblical narrative is basically about. I'll give you just a few. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was a liar. Sarah was a manipulator. David was a murderer. Jonah was a racist. Lot was a compromiser. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses had a temper. Samson was lustful. Saul was insecure. Solomon was hedonistic. And I'm not even out of the Old Testament. Matthew was a corrupt IRS agent. Martha was too busy working to worship. Thomas doubted. James and John fought over who got shotgun in the kingdom. <laughs> Paul was a murderer. In other words, come on, do you know what heaven's going to be? Aside from not boring, all right? Do you know what heaven's going to be? Heaven is going to be the eternal display of what God's grace has done through a history of failures. Nobody, get the metaphor, is going to be in heaven saying, look at all the fish I caught. Did you see my freshman year? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. The only thing that will be on that table is all that God has prepared for us in Christ. So if you don't like free meals you'll never enter the grace parade. Because grace cannot 
be earned, otherwise it would not be grace. And failure, if anything, teaches you that. Amen? If I could earn it, then why am I in this locker room? Fourth and finally, a lesson that we learn from failure is that failure is ground zero for ministry preparation. Failure is ground zero for ministry preparation. Watch what Jesus does with Peter, and we close with this. Verse 15, when they had finished their grace breakfast, that is everything that Jesus had provided for them, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, well, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. My guess is you probably don't need me to teach this, but I will. What is Jesus doing with Peter? Oh, this is so good. This is, he is restoring a failure. He's restoring a failure. There's two clues in the text. Number one, what's, what's Peter standing next to? A fire. Do you know when the last time was that Peter was standing next to a fire looking at Jesus? The courtyard. Jesus is taking Peter back to the locker room where he blew it. And he's going to ask him a question three times. That by the third time, Peter's quite irritated that he keeps uh, repeating it. And what's he doing? You know. Peter had denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Oh, this is so sweet. Jesus is taking Peter from the fires of failure to the fires of forgiveness. Brother, you're now ready to feed my sheep. Brother, sister, Now in your failure, I can use you. Because you're going to understand, Peter, that this ain't about you. In other words, you're now ready, Peter, to preach the gospel of grace because you've experienced the grace of the gospel. Don't you see, buddy? I'm not advocating for your failure. The application of today's message is, okay, go out and fail for Jesus. That is not the application. The question is not if it's going to happen. It's when is it going to happen. And when it does, are you going to run? Or are you going to be restored by the grace of Jesus and realize that he will use that to minister to others in ways that you would have not been able to do otherwise. Are you hearing me? 
Will you let today Jesus take your failure and turn it into ministry? Feed my sheep. Do you know why this morning you feel like a failure at times? Well, I hate to break it to you. It's because you are. And so am I. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's why the gospel is the greatest news in the world. Amen? That is why we so desperately need the grace of Jesus. Why? Because listen to what the Bible says as we close. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weakness. No, we have one that in every way was tempted as we are, say these next three words, yet without sin. And listen to Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, that is Adam, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, that is Christ, the many will be made righteous. In other words, I want you to hear this this morning. The good news of the gospel is not only that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, forgiving our failures, though he did. The good news of the gospel is not only that he rose from the grave, giving us second chance on life. No, the good news of the gospel is also that Jesus lived a life that never failed. Therefore, today, because of God's grace, do you know what you can do? Do you realize what you can do? You can trade your life of failures for a life of righteousness in Christ Jesus. This is a grace parade, and that's good news for a failure like me. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we know, we know that we're just like Peter. We've all been in that locker room. I had my moment and I blew it. I I was given this life and I've wasted it. That thing I said I'd never do and I did it. That thing I never thought I could do. And I'm there. Was that it? Is the game over? The buzzer sounded? It's time to just go back and quit. Oh, no, 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 no. There is a grace parade that receives failures. And the questions that you're asking us this morning is the question that you asked Peter on that shoreline. Even in all your failure and even in all your sin, do you love me? Do you love me? Will you follow me? Will you get up out of that locker room of regret and follow me into ministry for my name, for my glory? through my grace. God, I plead with you that this morning you'd have some shoreline conversations with those in this room. And that they would pull their chair of failure up 
to a breakfast of grace. And may we eat and be restored this very day. And I ask this in the amazing name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen.